Welcome to the Making Artists podcast, where artists learn how to stop starving, struggling, and aspiring, and instead, start making. You don't need a fine arts degree, a trust fund, or a more supportive family to be a successful artist. You just need to let your creativity lead you all the way to the top. I am fellow artist and professional certified coach, Nancy Sun, and I teach artists just like you how to make art, money, and an impact without giving up or burning out. Listen to learn how. Hey artists, welcome to this very special bonus episode of the Making Artists podcast. I'm calling it a bonus because I am currently on sabbatical from my coaching practice and I am between podcast seasons. We wrapped up season one at the end of 2022, but I was compelled to record this episode since my favorite film of 2022, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once swept award seasons and the Oscars earlier this month, thereby inspiring this bonus called How to Make a Best Picture with Everything Everywhere as a case study. If you have not been following award season, Everything Everywhere All at Once was nominated for 11 Academy Awards and won seven of them. It won Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Actress, Best Original Screenplay, Best Editing, Best Director, and finally Best Picture. As an added bonus, it did a victory lap of all the major awards at all four Hollywood unions, DGA, WGA, SAG, and PGA, and It is the highest grossing film to date for its production company, A24. So if you don't know, now you know. And for those of you who have not seen the movie, and I encourage all of you to see this movie, the remainder of this episode will have no spoilers, as we'll largely be talking about the mindset that allowed the Daniels to create this film and the creative journey they allowed to unfold so that this film could be made. Now, in terms of my personal connection to this film, it was the first movie I watched after giving birth to my son. Fun fact, (laughs) the movie I watched while giving birth to my son was The Lost Daughter, which is Not a film I recommend when you are becoming a first-time mom. So what a great palate cleanser to have watched this particular film the weekend of Mother's Day. And as soon as I figured out in the opening credits what the theme of this film would be, you can ask my friend Leah. I just bawled my way through the entire two and a half plus hours of this movie. Now, when I fall in love with a piece of art, particularly if it's a film or a TV show, I go on an internet binge to learn as much as possible 
about its creators and its creative process, aka its origin story, as I can. I want to learn what inspired it, who made it, under what circumstances, with what obstacles, and what allies, and what was the journey like so I can maximize how much it inspires me. Now, after I went on this internet binge for EEAAO, I didn't want to keep all the lessons for myself. So while I normally would share it in my newsletter, which at the time of this recording, you can subscribe to via the form on www.makingartistspodcast.com, I learned so much and quite frankly was too lazy to write it all down. So I decided to share it on this very special podcast episode instead. Ultimately, what I learned from this film's journey just reinforced ways I've already been treating myself, my process, and my art. It really told me, you're on the right track, keep going. And these are actually the same ways that I coach other creatives to treat themselves, their journey, and their art too. So I just want to give you these lessons here for free so that you can start to experience the same momentum for yourself. And in the chaotic good spirit of this film, I'm going to share these lessons for you in no particular order. The first lesson being having imposter syndrome doesn't mean shit. So sorry, this is an explicit episode. I'll say it again. Having imposter syndrome doesn't mean shit. So a lot of people think I have imposter syndrome. I have to fix the fact that I have imposter syndrome before I can go and do this thing that is causing my imposter syndrome to flare up. And I loved that in the Daniel's acceptance speech for best original screenplay, Daniel Kwan said, I never thought of myself as a screenwriter or a storyteller. I never thought of myself as good enough. I have self-esteem problems. My imposter syndrome is at an all-time high. And it's crazy because he is talking about him winning this award, not only being a nominee. Under these circumstances and on his way to winning Best Picture, his imposter syndrome is flaring up. And all I mean to say by that is you don't have to wait until you don't feel like an imposter anymore to start taking the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, etc. steps to making your art. Your art can be made. Your art can be living a full, abundant, expansive life outside of you. And you don't need to be cured or expect it to cure you to continue to have a life as an artist. Because my hunch is, this guy is going to continue to make more art 
and this particular syndrome will continue to flare up. And perhaps it makes more sense to treat it as like a chronic condition to live with, partner with, as opposed to a problem that needs to be solved or a disease that needs to be cured before you can make whatever it is you want to make. Having an imposter syndrome doesn't mean that you are an imposter and it doesn't mean you have to cure it and like have infinite self-confidence that only people with infinite self-confidence are the people that win Oscars. No, people who don't believe in themselves, right? Who really are genuinely surprised and think it is an honor to be nominated and really legitimately think other people should win are just as deserving of awards as the person who might have that self-confidence and pride and certainty. So the first lesson is like whether or not you have imposter syndrome has no bearing on the kind of artist you are or the quality of work that you do. Now, when you have something like imposter syndrome, which I'm learning many humans do, particularly those who have conditions or identities that are marginalized, believe that others believe, aka borrow belief from the people who do believe in you and just keep going. So first I wanna credit 12-step programs because this is where I first heard the phrase, believe that others believe. And I'm gonna give you a few examples from the making of this movie of people who just allowed themselves to be believed by other people and let that belief be enough. So first gonna bring up Daniel Kwan, one of the two Daniels, uh, the co-directors of this film. So he talked a lot, this is going to make me emotional, guys. Like he talked a lot about, this is the mom and me coming out, right? Like just thinking about having a kid who experience of childhood was that he struggled. He fully discloses that he, through the process of making this film, discovered that he has an ADHD diagnosis, but it's not something that he grew up knowing. And... His mom observed and was the person to tell him and make this suggestion that he should go to film school, even before he knew that this might be the adult playground he should be playing in. So he, you know, he let his mom believe in his inner artist when he might have not have had the self-awareness or self-confidence to declare it for himself. And he also said that, you know, in interviews that he's had, that it's actually a friend of his mom who was like some kind of fortune teller or soothsayer who saw him like playing when he was a kid, who ultimately told his mom, hey, like Daniel is going to be a very important film director one day. Other people who... Daniel credits for cultivating belief in him is his wife, 
also obviously his fellow director and creative partner. And so he just allowed other people to be right about his potential and who he was and the quality of work that he was doing, even when he couldn't believe it for himself. And so I just want to encourage you to to ponder for yourself, whose belief in you can you borrow today in your artistry? Another example is Ki Hui Kwan, who won the Best Supporting Actor Award. He often talks about how Echo, his wife, has supported his acting dreams for the past decade or decades when he already had early retired from his career as an actor, which he had as a child. In fact, he confesses in a New York Times profile that he didn't even think that he could be an actor when he initially embarked on his child acting career, which I think began with um, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, I think. Yeah, Temple of Doom. He went to the audition, not to audition himself, but because his brother was auditioning and he was coaching his brother what to do when the casting director believed that he would actually be the better actor and asked him to audition. What? (laughs) So he just borrowed other people's belief. The casting director believed he could be an actor more than he initially believed he could be an actor. And then Steven Spielberg (laughs) cast him in the role before he even considered having a career as an actor. And then when he finally had this career and then had a dry spell, he allowed his wife to believe in him. He allowed that to carry him into this particular moment when he was cast in this film. He also had talked about how while he was auditioning, he saw other actors he thought were better looking than him, who he thought would get the role and that he wouldn't. And when I hear that story now, I'm like, of course somebody who believes he wouldn't get this role is the perfect guy to play Waymond. So I just want to echo that you can borrow the belief of other people who believe in you as opposed to shore up a belief that you may not naturally have. And this is kind of a counterpoint to what our brains normally like to do, which is collect and hoard evidence and what all the naysayers have been saying about why we are not qualified or are shitty artists. And I just want to offer this contrary perspective or contrary practice. Why do you borrow other people's disbelief and don't borrow other people's belief? So that's the second lesson, which is believe that others believe. The third lesson is allow the journey to make your idea better. I'll say it again. Allow the journey 
to make your idea better. A common trap that I and other artists fall into is the belief that the idea in your brain is the best version of your art, your film, your book, your TV show, and that turning it into a script, putting it into words, hiring other people, bringing on collaborators is only going to make the idea worse. And I want you to consider that that's not true. And when you believe that is true, it's going to discourage you from wanting to birth your ideas, from wanting to make your ideas real. And it'll also create a lot of unnecessary drama because all along the way, you're just going to be comparing and despairing that this idea wasn't as I originally created it in my mind. If you don't give up on your idea, it's going to prevent you from enjoying this idea, appreciating its journey, letting it be what it wants to be in this universe. The first major example of how the Daniels allowed their idea to be improved upon by the journey was what they did with this film and the lead role when the first person they originally wanted for the Evelyn Wang character turned it down. And that was Jackie Chan. Yeah, so the first screenplay that I saw for this film was titled Jackie, the lead character was Jackie, it was centered around a dad instead of a mom, and rumor has it that Jackie turned this role down. And it was only after Jackie turned this role down that they reinvented and re-envisioned the lead character for Michelle Yeoh. And they would not have done it in a world where they had all the resources they wanted at their fingertips and Jackie Chan said yes. Now, I'm not saying that that would not have been a dope movie. It could have been just as dope or doper. I don't know. But the version that we got was amazing. I would not have had the connection that I had with Michelle Yeoh. The conversation around being a mom or being a child of an immigrant mom would be totally different than the one that we're having right now. And it would not have existed if Jackie Chan had said yes. So I want to argue that this idea was made better by the creators being resourceful with the tools they had, as opposed to just letting the idea die on the vine. They could have said, we can't get Jackie. It's Jackie or bust. We're gonna just let this idea go because it will never achieve the state of perfection that it once had 
as it existed in my brain. They weren't attached. They let the journey teach them what this particular movie wanted to be. And in this case, it wanted Michelle Yeoh as the lead character. Another second fun example was originally Aquafina was offered and publicly declared as the secondary character that ultimately was played by Stephanie Hsu and ultimately led to her supporting actress nomination for an Academy Award. And what would be different about this movie had it been played by Aquafina? Just something to noodle on as you consider wanting to stop, wanting to give up, wanting to be in an emotional tizzy because what you are playing with isn't the same as what your infinite and limitless imagination initially provided. Believe in your imagination's capacity to be agile and roll with the punches and find as much creative joy in working with reality than it did in working within the lines as it did coloring outside or being in blatant disregard of any lines. So that's the third lesson is to allow the journey to make your idea better. And I want to offer that when I say the journey, I don't only mean the process, but I also mean other people. And I say this because this is something that uh, the Daniels mentioned in their, I think their best directors or best film, best picture speech, which was they acknowledged that genius arises from the collective. They really allowed other people contribute to the making of this. As opposed to, you know, I'm the person who came up with this idea or we are the people who came up with this idea and you were just the hands executing our vision. They really allowed other people to really come with their own expertise and contribute their own creativity to this piece of art. And it was made better from doing so. It wasn't like as we go from pre-production to shooting to post to, you know, viewing, like experiencing it with an audience that each step is like more derivative than the previous step. They actually did not hold that belief, but that maybe each step is making it better. So I want to give that to you as the third lesson. Another side lesson, don't know, let's call it number four, is I think Daniel Kwan mentioned that he had heard that to succeed, you have to be the best or the first. And he decided that he was not going, he couldn't be the best, so he would just be the first. And I want to offer that to you as well, to just let go of being the best, right? And You could even say that is an echo of the first lesson, which is like, whether or not you have imposter syndrome doesn't matter, not an indicator of your excellence. Like, and by that, I mean, you know, don't worry yourself with whether or not you're the best, just be the first. And all I mean by that is like, get in action. There's a very famous study that is talked about in the book, Trust the Process, An Artist's Guide to Letting Go by Sean McNiff about two pottery classes that were graded differently. And one pottery class, 
their grade would be dependent on what the student considered to be their best work. So they would just submit one piece of pottery and their entire grade for the semester would hinge on this one piece of pottery, i.e. the best. Versus another class, they were judged and graded on the volume of pottery they threw. And so they were finishing pieces faster, right? So they were finishing pieces first because they were just going through volume. And this study talks about how the quality of the output of the two classes, surprisingly, the class that was graded on volume actually created better pottery. Look, I am not a pottery judge. I have no idea what the metrics of this grade were, but just the idea that these people didn't fixate on being the best and didn't ruminate and just, you know, perfect one piece of pottery for a grade. They just threw first as many pieces as possible and then became better potters by just always going first as opposed to always going best. So just throwing that lesson out there as another best practice and who to be and what to think as you're making art. And the final lesson that I got from everything, everywhere, all at once is success is a lot closer and a lot more possible than you think. Success is closer and more possible than your brain might think. There are a few ways to interpret this particular lesson. One way to identify with this lesson is simply now you have role models, people who look like you or who you identify with who have achieved the level of success you want. That might be because they are Asian or Asian American or because they are the children of immigrants, because they identify as neurodivergent, because of what their gender identity is, because of what their sexuality is, because of the type of stories they tell or how their brain is wired, now suddenly makes you think, I too, like them, can achieve or exceed success at this level or beyond my wireless dreams. So you can relate to these creators as people who have busted down the door for you and expanded to your brain what is possible, whereas you ordinarily would have had evidence that success is only possible for a person who looks like this, who has these identities, and whose brain works this way. That's one way to interpret this lesson. Another way to interpret this lesson, success is closer and more possible than you might think, requires a little bit more background information about me as an actor and as an artist. So one fun fact is I've actually previously been in a short film acting alongside Tally Madell who is in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. 
another fun fact about me is I've previously auditioned for a role in an episode of TV that the Daniels directed. And as a nice epilogue, uh, the role that I auditioned for ended up being played by Stephanie Hsu. This particular episode of television introduced the Daniels to Harry Shum. This episode of television introduced them to Stephanie Hsu, both of which ended up becoming actors in everything, everywhere, all at once. Now, I am not beating myself up or wringing my hands for this missed opportunity for being on the wrong side of the sliding doors moment and telling you that like Stephanie Shu is like living the life that I could have been living and that I'm not living. <laughs> That's not my intention. Instead, what I learned was, oh my gosh, there are so many people around me that are making cool shit. I am surrounded by ridiculously talented, undiscovered gems, artists, EGOTs, Emmy winners, Tony winners, Oscar winners. And to not take that for granted, to not like clout chase, right? Or create a hierarchy in my head of, who is better and who is worth working with because the people that are worth working with are my peers, are not somebody who is inaccessible and has 5 million gatekeepers, but might possibly be already in my phone at my fingertips and I have email addresses too. So that's another way that I want you to investigate how success might be closer and more possible than you think. What do you have access to that you are not really appreciating or using to its full capacity? I even think about social media, for example, and how it enables you to communicate with so many more people that you might not normally communicate with. And so how can you use the tools and the connections and the network that you have at hand to create the art you want to make as opposed to, again, beating yourself up because some other inaccessible resource that your brain wants isn't available to you. Maybe challenge that belief. Maybe it is available to you. Or two, what do you have at your fingertips and who do you have as potential partners and collaborators that already exist? Because you might all be rising together. And as a nice postscript that also reinforces this lesson, last year after I saw this film, I commented on Daniel Kwan's Instagram and we engaged in a little comment banter about our mother's on Mother's Day, which just reinforced this lesson like, oh, collaborating with dream collaborators 
is closer and creating relationships with people is easier than I might think. So to recap, some lessons on how to create things that are worthy of best picture. One, don't make your imposter syndrome a problem. As a sidebar, if you need more support with this, you can also check out the self-worth myth episode linked in the show notes. It might again give you a different perspective in the event that you have imposter syndrome or have insecurities about not being enough. Two is believe that others believe. Borrow other people's belief in you. Three, let the journey improve upon your initial idea. Four, let go of being the best and just get started first. Five, success is closer and more possible than you might think. So I hope you enjoy and take on these lessons for yourself. In the event that you need any support, let's stay in touch. You can sign up for my newsletter, get on my VIP waitlist right now while I'm on sabbatical by visiting www.makingartistspodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode and look forward to reconnecting in the not too distant future. Until then, you can visit me on IG at the Nancy Sun. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Making Artists podcast. Ready to start making art, making money, and making an impact? Visit makingartistspodcast.com. That's www.makingartists, plural with an S, podcast.com. Link available in the show notes. You can also stay in touch with me on Instagram. Just follow at the Nancy Sun on IG. I so look forward to the art and the life you make. Until next time.